0: love. There it is, that word. It's a very popular word, isn't it? So many meanings, so many feelings attached to it, so many definitions, so many experiences. We think we know what it means, but honestly, it's, it's been distorted, misrepresented, misunderstood, misused so much that perhaps we've lost sight of its real meaning. Poets, philosophers, songwriters, filmmakers, painters, dancers, businessmen, scientists, congressmen, everybody's tried to express its meaning. Some get close, others are way off. Some refuse to accept where it comes from, still others act like they don't need it, while others try to convince us that it's just a basic function of the brain. John Lennon said it's all we need. Pat Benatar said it's a battlefield, and Sinatra, for all you old people out there, said it's a mini thing, whatever that means. To be honest, we've all thrown the word around in some glib reference to ice cream or a football team as if the word is interchangeable between products and people, and I'm not trying to knock that. It's just that sometimes I really wanna know what a word means. It kinda of helps in conversations and human communication. But this word, huh, can we really define it? Is it too ambiguous, too morph from its original meaning, too mysterious we can't even expect anything from it? Well, maybe, maybe the creator of its original meaning should be consulted, so let's glean from his book and see how he defines it, shall we? Agape. That's the New Testament word for love that I'm talking about, the kind of love that we're all really longing for and nothing else even comes close. This is the kind of love when demonstrated properly changes everything. It's an active and unconditional love, it's a kind of love that says, I'll never think of myself first. Everything I do is for someone else. It's a kind of love that says, I'll be rejected so you can be accepted. I'll be humiliated so you can be lifted up. It's a kind of love that says, I'll sit this one out for the good of the team. I'll move to the back so my friend can move up front. It's a rare love that proves its merit by action. The kind that wakes up every morning and asks, How can I outserve everyone around me today? The kind of love that when there's only three tickets to a U2 concert and four people want to go, Your friend says he'll catch them the next time they're in town. It's a motivational love that says, don't worry because I got your back. You can do all things with me on your side. It's the kind of love that says, I'm with you always. I'll provide for you. I'll sit with you beside still waters and I'll go before you in battle. It whispers, I forgive you. And it shouts, I'm your best friend. It leads you to truth. It steers you from harm. It's the kind of love that can't be earned, that can't be bought, that won't leave you, that won't forsake you, and that won't misjudge you. It's a rare kind of love that will tackle you to the ground so you won't fall off a cliff. This is the kind of love that's better than life, stronger than death, it's patient, it's kind, it always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Agape love is unmerited. It's unmovable, it's unshakable, it's undeniable, indestructible, secure, sensitive, and straightforward. It's the kind of love that builds up, it seeks the lost, it befriends enemies, it corrects, it guides, it comforts, it reassures. In the simplest of terms and maybe most complete definition, it's a kind of love that says, I'll die so you can live.
1: It seems to me that people are always looking for innovative ways to tell their sweetheart, I love you. Giving flowers and chocolate certainly works. It's what a lot of people do for Valentine's Day, and those are nice gifts. But doing something unexpected, something out of the ordinary, like spending a day together without checking your phone, or writing a love letter by hand, or cooking a romantic meal, can be an even more powerful way of communicating one's love for another person. I think people generally enjoy tapping into their imaginations and being creative in the way they express their love. In fact, this desire for innovation seems to be true in almost every walk of life. People are constantly looking for fresh ideas and new ways of doing things. From corporate boardrooms to church staff meetings, people are consistently talking about the need to discover fresh perspectives, new strategies, and creative innovations. And I think it's priceless when people are able to think outside of the box. But what happens when you get too far outside of the box? Well, in the rush to embrace new ideas, many groups will forget who they are and what they're supposed to do. You know, there are There are a number of businesses that have lost touch with their core identity and they've suffered in the process. Now, let's take Volkswagen as an example. The words Volkswagen in German literally means people's car. That company was started with the mission to build simple yet reliable and good quality vehicles for the average person. The very first car they made was the Volkswagen Beetle. And it was wildly popular in the decades following World War II. In fact, millions of Americans fell in love with this car. But in the last 15 years or so, the company added luxury cars and SUVs. They also dealt with a a big scandal related to diesel emissions. And they stopped making the beloved Volkswagen Beetle. Or as we say, punch buggy in my house. No punch backs today, okay? Now this decision came because Volkswagen was responding to changing preferences that people had for the kinds of cars they want to drive. After all, more people are driving SUVs today than ever before. And Volkswagen wanted to get in on the action. And they wanted to sell more vehicles here in the United States. But... Making that change hasn't really helped them out. Their North American sales have actually been in decline for the last several years. This suggests to me that their strategy isn't working. At the same time, you'd think that there would still be a niche for a smaller, well made car. And there is. And you know who's filling that niche? It's BMW. They're the makers of the Mini Cooper. Now, what's the lesson here? Well, it's important to think outside the box. But you don't want to lose the box because the box is what got you here. In other words, organizations need to identify what they do best and then let that guide their decisions. This pertains to our conversation about love because love is one of the core commitments of following Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, the church certainly needs innovative ideas and new ways of connecting with people. But we also need to stay true to our core commitment to love. Jesus wants us to be known by our love. This is what we need to do extremely well. Now the first letter of John makes it clear that loving one another should be one of our core qualities. And we see this love in what Jesus did when he laid down his life for us. And we put these words into action when we lay down our lives for one another as it says In verse 16, now the sacrificial love of Jesus is more than just a nice idea. It's intended to be a pattern of behavior that is seen in the way that we treat other people. In verse 17, John asks, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? The short answer is that it doesn't. God's love lives in those who see a need and then respond with help. Clarence Jordan captured this idea, this translation, his translation of 1 John 3:18 3, in the Cotton Patch Gospel. And he writes, My little ones, let's not talk about love. Let's not sing about love. Let's put love into action and make it real putting love into action, making it real. That's what John is talking about when he challenges us to love others. But why is this so hard? And it is hard, but why is it so hard? Well, in answering that question, let's take a a moment to consider a couple different specific situations. And I'm not pointing fingers here. These are situations that I struggle with. Let's take politics as an example. Lots of people would rather argue with their political opponents than love them, and I think they argue because they want their idea to win. They want to see their solution to some of the problems that we see in the world, and some people are willing to do this at any cost, and lately it seems to include a lot of yelling and virtually no listening. And that makes it really hard to love the other person. Here's another example. Let's take homelessness as an example. Lots of people would rather write a check to the Raleigh Rescue Mission than spend an evening providing job counseling to a person on the streets. Now, we might not want to sacrifice our time to do this, And and frankly, it can be really hard to love someone we don't know, someone who seems to have lots of problems, someone who hasn't bathed in a while. But putting love into action is challenging. I think a lot of us would find it much easier and much simpler to define our religious duty simply in terms of coming to church and making offerings than doing the real challenging work feeding the hungry, welcoming strangers, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting those in prison, as Jesus calls us to do. Now, my point in all of this is to say that there are lots of difficult issues in our world today. And this brings out strong opinions of what should be done and who should do it. That, I think, is leading to Lots of fighting, even anger and outrage. Now, we certainly need to be engaged with the issues of our day. But we also need to be careful in how we respond. Now, dividing the world into winners and losers is the way the world likes to respond, where ugly fights and boorish behavior seems to have become the norm. But that's not the way of Jesus. He was never interested in crushing his opponents. Instead, he challenged his followers to be people of love. Now in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If we're going to stay focused on love, then we need to put love into action and make it real to others. And frankly, it is much harder to love others than to fight them or to ignore them. So how do we rise to this challenge? Well, I think the key is to realize that love comes from God. We know we're loved Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And John calls us to believe in Jesus because Jesus is our lifeline. It is through Jesus that we are connected to God's love. Now all of us are invited to receive this great, wonderful gift of God's love. But in receiving it, it's not just for our own benefit. John wants us to see that we need to put love into action. And he says in verse 18, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. We have to do more than simply say that we have the love of God in our hearts. We need to show it. And the truth is, people experience genuine love through concrete actions that mirror the actions that we see in Jesus. Now, if we succeed In loving others, the credit belongs to God, not to us. Any love that we show is a sign that God's love is working through us. But for this to happen, we have to be committed to putting love into action. Now, I believe we are called to share love with others precisely in those situations that involve the tough issues of our day. I also think it's important to recognize that we don't have to figure out the perfect position on every single issue. We don't have to have that fixed and, and figured out. And John doesn't say that we'll be blessed by God once we win a political argument or once we articulate a, a flawless moral position on some issue. What matters is that we love others. And John says in verse 22 that we will receive from God whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. In the following verse, he spells out the commandment. We should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. And then what pleases God is that we lay down our lives for one another. This is the core of what we are called to be. Now, we are doing something right when we love others, and I believe the world is in desperate need for a church that puts love into action and makes it real. And there are people right around us and who are searching for a community that practices what it preaches. People are looking for a community of love right here in this neighborhood, in this city, and I think we can be that kind of community. Over a hundred years ago, the Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard made the point that Jesus was looking for followers, not fans. He wanted people who would walk with him, do his work, serve in his name, and love others. Kierkegaard told a parable of a man who was walking down a city street one day. When he saw a big sign in a window that said, Pants pressed here. Well, he was happy to see that sign because he had a bunch of wrinkled laundry back at his home. So he went back to his apartment, grabbed up all those clothes, carried it to the shop and placed it on the countertop. Well, the shopkeeper had a strange look on his face and he wanted to know what this man was doing. And the man said, I brought my clothes here to be pressed. Just like it says on your sign. And then the shopkeeper said, Oh, you've got the wrong idea here. We don't actually press pants here. We're in the business of making signs. In other words, we don't do those things. We just talk about them. This is the kind of thing that hurts the witness of the church. We need to be sure that we do more than just talk about God's love. We need to put love into action and make it real to others. This is what Jesus wants us to do. We can put love into action by helping those right around us, right in this this church community, right in this neighborhood. We can put love into action by focusing on activities that really show the love of God to people who feel unloved or who feel unlovable. We can put love into action by sacrificing our time, our talents, and our money for the good of others. Love is one of the greatest gifts that we can offer the world around us, And it is at the core of who we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in our church tagline, we advertise that we are a church that seeks to love God, love people, and live the gospel. And it's critical that this be more than words. So let's be sure we practice God's love, that we share love with others. My hope and my prayer for us is that we will be known in this community for our love. Love should be at the core of who we are. And I hope we will never, ever lose sight of this. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for reminding us today of what really matters, that we ought to live as people of love. Forgive us, though, for those times when we have failed to love others. We pray that you would transform our hearts and help us embrace opportunities this week to share your love with our families, with our coworkers, our neighbors, and all the other people who come into our lives. Help us to never lose sight of the importance of love and its role in the way that we live. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll sing our hymn of response. It's printed in your bulletin. During this time, I'll be here at the front of the sanctuary to receive anyone who would like to come forward. This is a time for prayer. It's a time to receive folks for church membership. And also, if you are feeling the call into discipleship, I invite you to come and and share that good news with our church family. Again, I'll be here at the front to meet any who come forward. Let's stand now and sing together
2: our hymn of response.